Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Kelsey Laurie. This week, Matt Kelly, our producer, co-host, and best friend, is going to be educating us on Planet of the Apes. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times, you can't go wrong. We'll two-step, a new step, it won't be long. When the Dixielands are playing, soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Gelsey, now, we have a very loose reason for why I decided we were going to talk about Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I was really um, curious, actually. I was based- like, the fuck? So, the month of June marks the 50-year anniversary of the fifth and final Planet of the Apes movie. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, I'll so, take it. So, so we're doing this because it's the 50-year anniversary of the last film. Um, so... There is a lot to talk about with Planet of the Apes, so I hope you're ready. I hope it's all about the musical. All right. So the origins of Planet of the Apes actually begin with a French novel. To show respect to the French, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the book, but it Do translated it. I tried all English the Russian to... names on the Catherine yeah. the Great episode. Give it a shot. Yeah. No, we're good. It translates to Planet of the Apes. It was written by... I will attempt this name, though. Uh, it was written by Pierre... Boyle, B O U L L E. I'm sure. Boyle. Yeah, I like <laughs> I'm that. I'm just better. gonna call him. I just like that. Boyle. I'm, 
Let's do that. Violi stuck in blue. That's what it sounds like. He's just going to be Pierre uh, from the rest of this. Great. Pierre was inspired to write the story after looking at the gorillas in the zoo and noting their human-like expressions. And then he pulled a lot of influence from Jonathan Swift's tale of Gulliver's Travels, Mm. right? The novel of Planet of the Apes follows a French journalist who participates in a voyage to a distant, uh, distant planet where speechless animalistic humans are hunted and enslaved by an advanced society of apes. The ape species are sorted into classes. The gorillas are the police officers, the chimpanzees are the scientists, and the orangutans are the politicians. And eventually he discovers that humans once dominated the planet until their own complacency allowed more industrious apes to overthrow the society. So the book came out. It was a bestseller. Uh, And now let's talk about a man called Arthur Jacobs. All right. What up, Arthur? Yeah. Arthur Jacobs was a film producer who had started a company called APJAC. Just rolls right off the tongue. (laughs) Um, My best with doing zero research. I'm going to assume his middle name starts with a P and that he named his company just his initials at that point. Yeah. Yeah. so APJAC Productions uh, wants to make a movie, and he travels to Paris in search of a story that grabs him that he could adapt into a film. Now, Pierre's agent overhears Jacob say, I wish King Kong had never been made so that I could make it. And he quickly mentions that he has a client who wrote a book called Planet of the Apes, and Jacobs immediately loves the idea and buys the film rights right there on the spot, right? So mm-hmm. so Jacob now returns to America and spends three years trying to convince any filmmaker to make this Planet of the Apes movie. But he has two big pluses on his side. First of all, he's hired Rob Sterling to write the screenplay. So Twilight Zone's own Rob Sterling comes in and uh, he makes the film more of a Cold War analogy, and he adds the now iconic twist ending to the book. And we'll get into that twist ending later, but you probably already know what it is. Problem with people wanting to make this movie was that the estimated budget was going to be $10 million in 1967 That's huge. Uh, funds. <laughs> yeah, massive. But... The second big thing he had in his pocket was that Charlton Heston really wanted to do the movie. So Charlton Heston was able to get 20th Century Fox to come on board and make the movie happen. Now, part of that was that Fox said, you have to change this script. Like, we have to bring this down to, at a minimum, $6 million, which is still, in 1967 dollars, a lot of fucking money. $1967. I want to buy a house for $1967. That'd be nice. Don't we all? Um, So the biggest change that they made was that in the original novel and Sterling's adaptation, they lived in like a crazy futuristic city. So to save on a lot of that budget, they kind of brought it down to this more like primal biblical times type village where they're like living in like clay huts. And stuff, so they could they could save a ton of money just by making that change. So, let's talk about what's the plot of the first Planet of the Apes movie. And I apologize, all of the plot I, I do write out descriptions for all five of these movies, but the first one is definitely the most involved plot line okay. to break down. 
I thought you were going to say when you said, let's start getting to talking about what's the point. I thought that's what you were going to say instead of plot. I was like, great question. What's what's the point of all this? uh, So the the first Planet of the Apes follows three astronauts who survive a crash landing in an unknown planet. Two of the men are soon killed by an army of apes, while the third, named Taylor, played by Charlton Heston, is shot in the throat, making him temporarily mute while two ape scientists help him heal, one of them being Zara. Uh, He observes that he is now in an advanced society of talking apes with strict caste systems. The gorillas represent a military force and labor, the orangutans oversee all of the government and religion, and the intellectual chimpanzees are mostly the scientists and doctors. He also sees that the apes consider primitive humans as vermin that must be hunted and either killed or enslaved and used for scientific experiments. Taylor, however, convinces Zara and her fiancé Cornelius that he's as intelligent as they am when he's able to make a paper airplane. Dr. Zayas, who you know from the songs... Best musical in the world. However, however, fears the idea of an intelligent human being and orders for Taylor to be castrated to avoid repopulating an intelligent human society. Uh, Taylor escapes, and while he's on the run, he finds that his former astronaut's uh, Buddy's corpses have now been stuffed and placed in a museum. But then he's recaptured by the apes and out of fear reveals that he can speak, which alarms all of the apes at this point. Sorry, I can't not. Just, I was like, he can talk, he can talk, I can sing. Talk, sing. Right, talk, for anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, The Simpsons did a Planet of the Apes, the musical. We've talked about it a few times. It's, it's like my favorite Simpsons episode of all times, yeah. and I can't not. Have that. you ever heard of the Planet of the Apes? The planet or the movie? Um, all right sorry sorry sorry. he can talk he can talk now yeah he can talk he can talk he can sing dr zayas believing that taylor is either from an unknown human tribe beyond the borders of ape city or the subject of a mad scientist who gave him the power to speak privately threatens to once again castrate and lobotomize him for refusing to reveal his origins um cornelius and zara help Taylor escape into the Forbidden Zone, a region of the land that ape law has ruled out of bounds for centuries, and Dr. Zayas still finds them. He admits that he has always known that the Forbidden Zone holds the artifacts that a once advanced human society of the past existed, uh, and that at one time, the area known as the Forbidden Zone was looked at as a paradise. He allows Taylor to go and live in the Forbidden Zone, promising to never return, and he destroys any evidence that they have found that there was once an intelligent human society. This is where Taylor, riding a horse through the Forbidden Zone, hits our iconic ending where he finds the Statue of Liberty buried in sand and realizes that he's been on Earth this entire time, but that humanity has killed itself in a nuclear warfare, allowing the apes to reign. This movie was a massive success. So we talked about how they dropped the budget down to six million. Well, it brought in thirty-four million wow. when it was in theaters. Holy shit! And remember, <laughs> folks, this is nineteen sixty-seven dollars. This is nineteen sixty-seven dollars. It was such a huge success that they immediately greenlight a sequel, and we get Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which was made for just two point five million dollars, but still brought in six, uh, brought in nineteen million during its box office run. So these movies were pretty successful, right? Beneath the Planet of the Apes, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, Planet of the Apes, it's like a absolutely beloved classic sci-fi film for reason, and it's very, very good. Beneath the Planet of the Apes is my personal favorite 
in the franchise because it. it is it is wacky and dark, and I will tell you all about how wacky and dark it is. In the sequel, a second crew crashes a spaceship in the Forbidden Zone <laughs> searching for the missing astronauts from the first film. Um, the only survivor of the crash is Brett. Uh, and similarly to the first film, he assumes he's on a new planet until he comes to Ape City, where he finds an ape rally happening. The rally is led by General Orissus, who's pushing for the apes to move into the Forbidden Zone and begin harvesting food there, while Dr. Zayas is on the opposite end, objecting this idea for fear that they will learn about the human society that he's destroyed when you just said um, ape rally i just imagined him like coming over a cliff into like their city and it's all just <laughs> just full-on rosie o'donnell as a monkey <laughs> that was like that's the movie i want to see okay. i <laughs> honestly thought you were going to go into a whoopie do i want to be like you that's ooh, the ooh. third movie matt there's five yeah, the king louis to. that's true sorry uh so brett is is soon wounded and of course ends up in the care of Cornelius and Zara. Duh. Uh, and they tell, tell him that Taylor is in fact alive and that he is in the Forbidden Zone. Zara takes Brett and hides him in a cave, which he soon discovers is the remains of the Queensboro Plaza station at, as part of the New York subway. Um, this is when Brett realizes that he's in a post-apocalyptic Earth, and he begins to hear humming. He follows the sounds of the humming and finds the remains of St. Patrick's Cathedral, where a population of telepathic humans are worshiping an ancient nuclear bomb underground. Uh, after being captured, he discovers that the telepathic people are descendants of the original survivors of the nuclear holocaust and have been slowly mutating over the years. Why do they have to be telepathic? Like, why do we have to add that? They claim to be a peaceful society despite using their mind control and, and illusions to confuse their enemies. They're Jedi. They learn that Dr. Zayas and other apes, however, are en route and prepare to detonate the, the ancient atom bomb and kill all the apes. It's at this time that the telepathic humans remove their skin and reveal their true faces, which are pale, which are completely pale skin tones with scars and grotesque deformities all over it. Brett finds Taylor, who's been captured previously, and together they attempt to stop the ritual, but when the apes arrive, they end up killing them before they can stop it, and the bomb is detonated. The final scene of the movie is a freeze frame of Taylor's hand lying near the detonator, and the screen goes to pure white, and a narrator says, In one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star. One of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, has now died. And then the credits just roll in complete silence. Jesus, that's that's so Twilight Zoney. I know, right? It, it really and is. And you think that that would obviously be the end of the Planet of the Apes? They blew it up so. with the nuclear wrong. But you'd be wrong, Gelsey. I'd be wrong that even though yes. you told me there's five, I'd be wrong <laughs> if I assumed there was only two. So here's, um, but I'm going to give you this. I think that this is brilliant. I think this is absolutely brilliant what they did. Okay, what they did. So. A year later, we get Escape from the Planet of the Apes. This one follows Cornelius, Zara, and an ape we've never met before named Dr. Milo, who have repaired Taylor's ship and take off just as the world is being destroyed. The shockwave of Earth's destruction sends them through a time warp and brings them to 1973. 
I like this. Okay. <laughs> I like where the this three, is going. Reverse it. The the three pretend to be mute creatures and end up in the Los Angeles Zoo. While there, Dr. Milo is killed by a zoo gorilla, and the Presidential Commission is formed to investigate the return of Taylor's ship without any of the astronauts aboard it. Eventually, Zara and Cornelius are forced to reveal their ability to speak. They admit to being from the future and escaping as the planet was destroyed, but they don't admit to knowing Taylor or expanding on the society that they originally came from. They quickly become media celebrities, especially when it's discovered that Zara is pregnant. Um, so, like, this movie's real goofy. It's real 1970s. Like, it's just like imagine these apes like walking around in like 70s bell bottoms fashion while like a paparazzi follows them. It's it's delightful. However, the, and here we go. Nothing says it's the 1970s like this next sentence. The government using a truth serum on Cornelius <laughs> learns of the future that they come from and decide that the apes must be destroyed in order to protect society. The apes go on the run and befriend a circus ringmaster, Senior Armando, who's played by Ricardo Matavan, um, from Fantasy Island. Love it. He's great in this. Uh, Armando's ape on his circus has recently given birth and Zara goes into labor and switches the babies hoping to protect her son eventually Cornelius and Zara are found and killed and Armando leaves for Florida with a young talking baby ape in his care ooh mysterious Uh, the film continued to be profitable made 12 million dollars on a 2 million dollar budget so of course of course, they've got to make another movie. So the next year, we get my second favorite of the Planet of the Apes movies. I like the dark, fucked up ones. We get... Yeah, look at that. That's some fashion right there. That's great. I'm looking at a, an ape in a 1970s suit, <laughs> suit right now. It's kind of everything I could... Oh, wait. this Yeah. This is uh, Zara. It's, it's everything you can yeah. hope for, folks. Google. Yeah. So the next film we get is Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And we jump to the year 1991, the far distant future. <laughs> um, a pandemic in 1983 has killed all of the dogs and cats in the world, causing apes to become the primary uh, pet of choice. But also apes have become part of slave labor. Armando has kept Zara and Cornelius's baby a secret to, for all these years and has given him the name Caesar. Uh, while in the city, he reminds Caesar to not speak because it could be very bad. However, Caesar witnesses a gorilla being beaten in the streets as a crowd cheers and can't control himself and la- yells out, you lousy human bastards. In order to protect Caesar, Armando claims that he was the one that spoke, not the ape. Uh, but Caesar is still taken away from him and begins to be tortured into being an obedient slave worker like all of the other apes. Ooh, um, like, Armando, like- however commit suicide after being dragged to a machine that would force the truth out of him, knowing that he wouldn't be able to keep Caesar's secret. Caesar, learning of the death of his friend, begins to teach all of the working apes how to fight and how to make weapons, and causes the ape uprising, and decides that he will dedicate the rest of his life to man's downfall as buildings burn all around him. And that's the closing shot of the movie. It's a fucking badass movie. <laughs> um, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes is great. Uh, now, the movies are becoming slightly less successful. 
did it make money? Absolutely. It made $9.7 million, but the budget was only $1.7 million. Uh, and they decided that the next film was going to be the final film in the franchise, The Battle of the Planet of the Apes. Um, now, I'm sure you're seeing what's happening here is that theoretically, they're they're creating a loop. They're, they're creating a loop where you could jump in and escape and get to beneath, which is kind of awesome, I think. <laughs> like... I've never really seen a so time travel based film do the that. The fifth movie is like the downfall of man and now apes rise and we're back at movie one. Well, you would think, but why wouldn't they do that? <laughs> they like wouldn't pro- do that for, for one reason. It's and we'll get setup. there. Okay. Okay. Fine. So battle of the planet of the apes Whatever. begins in the early 21st century with an ape telling a story to an unseen group of people. His story starts shortly after the nuclear war has destroyed the human civilization. Caesar has a human assistant who constantly tells him that there is a way for apes and men, humans to live peacefully, but Caesar will hear none of it. However, there is also an aggressive general, uh, guerrilla general named Aldo, who just wishes for the complete eradication of all of the humans. Caesar, never knowing his family, learns there is archival footage of his parents buried within the ruins of the Forbidden Zone, and he goes on a trip there to try to find it. While there, he finds the mutant, radiation-scarred survivors of the nuclear war, including many of the guards that he helped with the uprising against in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. So not only, like... Are they already pissed off that there's nuclear war and that they're like these scarred mutants underground? But it's like, oh, cool. The guy who caused all of this has discovered our hiding place. Um, Caesar reports his findings to Aldo, who launches a full-on attack on the underground civilization. Um, But also, when Caesar's son overhears the details of Aldo's desire to overthrow Caesar's power... He is killed. So Aldo kills Caesar's son. Caesar realizing that his son's death came at the hands of another ape leads him to realize that the apes are no different than their former human counterparts. Caesar gets revenge on Aldo for causing him to fall to his death from a cliff and then begins to work on his uh, human assistance idea of a perfect coexistence between the humans and the apes. He locks up all of their weapons in an armory and informs the armory keeper that they will still need weapons for future conflicts, but they can hopefully dream and wait for a day where they'll no longer need to ever use them. This is when we jump back to the storyteller from the start of the movie, who informs us that 600 years have passed since Caesar died, but his dream has slowly been coming true, although they are still waiting for a day where they won't need weapons again. It is at this point that it is revealed that his audience was a mix of human and ape children listening to the story in front of a statue of Caesar that cries a single tear as the movie fades to black. Um, so it's kind of like it could have gone full circle, but Caesar butterfly affected that, it to not go in that way. Yeah, okay. As you were like talking, I was like, oh, duh, because before that they got to the Planet of the Apes, that was how the future played out, but then they went back in time and brought the monkeys back, and that changes the future. So, yeah, I was like, (laughs) I know how time travel movies work. Yeah. You cannot go back and kill baby Hitler because it screws up everything else. And there'll just be a new baby Hitler. There will be. There were always fucking baby Hitlers. The film was still a success, but mostly due to the fact that the budget was like under a million dollars at that point when they made it. Um, They did have a short-lived one-season TV show, followed by a short-lived one-season animated show in 1974 and 1975. 
Uh, but then basically the franchise was dead until 2001 when Tim Burton made his remake. And we will talk about the new version of the Planet of the Apes after this quick commercial break. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. I did a lot of talk in there, so I want to hear your thoughts on it. Well, first of all, how many Planet of the Apes movies have you watched? Are you just at a solid none? I like think in when the Tim Burton one came out my dad took me to see it in the movies but I was still quite young and I was like this is dumb because I was just that was the first truly bad Tim Burton movie I think I've ever watched it was was bad right okay because I was like I feel like and then when new ones came out after that I was just like nah I like swore off Planet of the Apes I was like "Mm." and my dad's always been like you have to see the original you have to see the original I, I do need to see it but no so you know what I'm not gonna even count the Tim Burton one I'm going at zero no I would say that the Tim Burton one is Counting the original franchise and the new trilogy that's come out in the last couple of years, Tim Burton's is still the absolute worst Planet of the Apes movie <laughs> out of the whole bunch. Like it is, it is truly just like not good. Um, I know that there are people who will defend it. Cool, <laughs> but cool. <laughs> but I actually really did like the um, the trilogy that we that we recently got, which focused essentially on the plot lines of conquest and battle of the Planet of the Apes more than anything. It it starts with uh, a lab where they're working on, they're studying an ape named Caesar and giving him injections to make him hyper intelligent. Mm-hmm. And the first movie is kind of, you know, the rise of the Planet of the Apes is just the relationship between the scientist and Caesar and how well they get along until something terrible happens to the scientist and then Caesar kind of gets his revenge and goes and and hides in the trees. And then the second one is more of Caesar getting the apes in the trees in the forest to gather together and fight. And then the final film is essentially them taking over and creating Play of the Apes, which I think is a, I think that that's the difference is like the big strike with the Tim Burton movie is like mm-hmm. we already know the twist. Like all he could do was just like tweak the twist. Yeah, that's but the hard thing with a movie like that. It's kind of like a um, Sixth Sense kind of a deal where like the whole point is you can't rewatch a movie for the first time. Yes, 100%. And that's why like, look, we're going to talk about a horror movie for a second, but like I'm not saying that this is a good remake, 
Um, but they did a remake of Friday the 13th. And what mm. I appreciated about the Friday the 13th remake was that instead of doing the first movie over again, where it's like, oh, but it's Jason's mother and it's not really Jason. And like, like just retelling that story that we already heard, mm-hmm. they start the movie with people around a campfire, basically retelling the plot of the first two Friday the 13th movies as a campfire tale. And then it's almost a remake of part three. Like it's like mm-hmm. they they kind of just moved along because it's like what what are you trying to prove at that point? It's like everyone associates Jason with this. Like what are you gonna yeah. are you really gonna do the remake of the movie with the mother being the killer? Like that's dumb. Like just give the people what they're there for. And I think that that kind of is in the same vein of like I think it's smart that they were like, if we're going to actually remake the Planet of the Apes, everybody knows the basic outline of the first movie. Let's let's jump into the sequel films that were almost like prequels to the franchise anyway and just tell that story mm-hmm. in a more like specific way. So mm-hmm. those those movies are good. I I look I'm not going to sit here and say that all five of these movies are masterpieces because they're absolutely not. But they just have that like late 60s, early 70s filmmaking charm that is like irresistible to me. <laughs> I, I can 100% see that. And like even kind of looking up the pictures, I was like, oh, I think I would like it just for that. And it's like sci-fi in the 60s is when it was in its prime coming out from the late 50s. And then you go into the Twilight Zone. And I feel like it was just getting this like awesome momentum. And so any sci-fi in the 60s is gonna be great yeah no and and so i mean hopefully you'll go and check out some of them um but if someone says matt you're crazy there's one good planet of the apes movie and it's the first one and then it's just been a whole bunch of garbage where can they let me know how stupid my opinions are yeah tell matt how stupid he is on our instagram you can find us at before my time underscore podcast or on facebook just type in before my time we will pop up right on our wall send us a dm comment on our latest post and just say hi or just be like matt you're so fucking dumb we love you matt or you can just be like elsie you suck and i'll be like thanks guys um you know that kind of criticism makes us grow stronger. Also, speaking of criticism, let's reverse that. If you enjoy our podcast and you have a couple seconds, if you could leave us a five-star review, that would help us up so much. Get in front of new listeners like yourself. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Bye. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. 
Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 